Good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Invite you to turn in your Bibles with us this morning as we continue in our study through the book of Exodus. Today we'll be in Exodus chapter 3, and while you're turning there, a couple of additional announcements. First, I want to thank the Hillside family, uh, all those that have served thus far at the warming shelter that is currently opened at Central Nazarene, and there will be likely a few additional warming centers a little closer here in North Clackamas that'll be opening even this week. We have needs Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. We already are experiencing sustained number of days where the warming centers are open because of the temperatures. Sometimes the temperature on the thermometer doesn't read 33 degrees or below, but the wind chill factor does. We've had wind chill factors in the 20s this past week, which when the wind chill factor hits that number 33 also, it activates the opening of the warming center. And so thankful for our volunteer team, as well as there are some 12 churches, including ours, that are pulling together an army of 100 plus volunteers, helping to get them trained and ready to serve. So if you've already served in one, thank you. If you haven't served in one, we still need more volunteers who will love on some folks. And uh, it's, it's a great opportunity to connect with other churches as well. There'll be that sign-up sheet in the foyer. What I'll also mention today is Communion Sunday. Normally, it's our first Sunday of the month that we have communion. This morning is communion service, and our children will be coming in. The kids that are in toddler town, that's our infants, if you will, when they arrive here, we're asking moms and dads to go and will you pick up your child right here in the room, uh, and that will be their official release. However, the kids in kids town, there's a large number of them. It's their Christmas party this morning. We're asking when they come in, they'll probably fill some seats and uh, fill in in the front here. But before we're released, after communion is complete, we're gonna release the kids back to Kids Town in the library, and then moms and dads can go up there and pick your kids up. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Uh, also, we have for our Mission Italy 2018 in September, there is a meeting following after service today, and that will be up in the hallway those interested, many have signed up for Mission Italy. We would ask that you would join Stella and Adam up the hallway, and they will be giving some more information regarding that mission trip. So be sure to pop up the hallway after service. And then I just want to, it's the Christmas season. How many of you are already enjoying the holiday season, right? I mean, I, I, I started listening to Christmas music, well, about 1983, it's kind of a year-round thing for me, but uh, I know it's, it's a festive time, and um, it's also, it's a difficult time for many people. No matter what your Christmas memories are or your Christmas atmosphere is in your home, for some, it's a very difficult time. There's a family here at Sunnyside Elementary School that our church is adopting. There are five kids and one child on the way. There's been some health complications in the family, 
and they're in need, and we want to simply adopt them and love them. And so if you would like to be a part of that, there are many kids, and we're talking young children, nine, seven, four, twins at four, two-month-old, and a pregnancy. Uh, if you'd like to be a part of that and be a blessing, would you see Mike Clouser immediately after service? That would be super, super helpful for us, and uh, we'd like to be a real blessing to them. I, I will tell you that a couple of years ago, our fellowship uh, had some some folks come and visit us from way out by St. Helens, out Highway 30 by St. Helens. They visited us. They had a history of Catholicism in their spiritual journey. And when they entered Hillside, they were, uh, they were met by you. And uh, probably 10 or 12 people greeted them by the time they got from the front door uh, to the place where they were going to seat. And they looked at each other and they said, wow, is this church. You see, their history and their background had been that God was angry with them. There was no joy. Uh, they had this expectation that they might make it to heaven, but more than likely they were going to go to hell. And so they had this complete wrong and distorted idea of who God was. They came here and they experienced the joy of Jesus. They experienced the joy of the Lord. And they were surprised. And they said in their letter that they wrote this last week, they said, then the music started, and these, these were her words, and then everyone started jamming. <laughs> and it said, they said, they looked at each other and they said, what? <laughs> like, what is this? And they became a part of our fellowship, a marvelous family, two children. They fell in love with the Lord. They fell in love with you. We fell in love with them. Then God moved them down to Southern California. But before that happened, the husband broke his hand. And this was leading into the Christmas season. He broke his hand and he was without work. And he was without work for quite a spell of time. Bills were surmounting. There was more month at the end of the check than there was check at the end of the month. Bills surmounting, difficulties, heartache, hardship, down to their last $20. Living out in that area, they put that last $20 into their gas tank on a Sunday morning and said, we're going to church. Little did they know that this fellowship had heard of the need, had heard of their circumstances, and had adopted them. And our fellowship, many of the women here, went out shopping and did Christmas shopping for this marvelous family. And they were real needs, very real needs, like shoes and coats and that kind of thing. Well, they showed up that Sunday morning. They had no idea that there was Christmas waiting for them. There were gifts. There were presents. But there was also a love offering that had been taken for them. And that love offering was given to them. And they looked at each other again and said, who does this? And what is this thing called the church? What is this? And her husband said, hey, this is our church. Well, it's been a couple of years, and they live down in California and I just want you to know how God works. It's just so beautiful. Their circumstances have changed dramatically, and they sent with their letter a check, paying it forward and saying, we just want to thank God for our fellowship and what they've done, and we're paying it forward. And it was a check of a large amount of money, and we thought, wow, praise God. God is blessing. And they were responding to what God had done in their lives in just benevolence of giving. And so I just thought, hey, great job, church, loving people. Amen? That's epic. All right. Well, give yourselves a hand. That was a good thing. Yeah. 
Joanne, would you come up here real quickly? And uh, as you're turning in your Bibles to Genesis, or excuse me, Exodus chapter three, uh, Joanne shared with me uh, just a word of the Lord. And uh, come on up, Joe. And um, I, Joe, would you just share what the Lord was ministering to you? Thank you. Uh, well, life can be very distracting. And it has been very distracting lately for me, and I'm pretty sure probably for everybody, just things, anything that you're dealing with, things can become very overwhelming. Not just you, but perhaps people in your life. And, um, and lately, uh, I have found myself very distracted and um, feeling a lot of anxiety. And... Uh, the Lord has just been telling me this morning that um, those are distractions. And even though it feels very real, it's distracting me from calling out to him. Um, I've run into a friend the last two weekends randomly at grocery stores. Um, and she's going through something really life-changingly difficult. And she said, I, I, Joanne, I can't even pray right now. I can't even call out to God. And... Um, and I was able to just share with her that I'm praying for her. And so the distractions are meant to keep us from praying and doing really important work that's happening in the spiritual realm. And um, we just have to hold on to God and we have to recognize them as distractions. And we have to say, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on. And even if that's the only thing you can get out and you can just repeat that and think about the circumstances, um, then that you just distractions, God. Come on. Epic, epic. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jill. Yeah. It's a good word. It's a good word. Anybody here facing distractions? Yeah, lots of hands, lots of hands. Um, meant to keep us from the important work. Father, in the next few moments, those of us who have had distractions, even this week, perhaps some already contemplating the distractions of the forthcoming week, Lord, will you help us to be more than overcomers and to put things in their proper perspective and distractions? Your word even encourages us to bring thoughts captive, every vain imagination, bringing it to the obedience of Christ. Help us, Lord, to wage war, not according to this world, but according to your spiritual realm. We are mighty in God, mighty through God, to bringing thoughts captive, bringing uh, every imagination into its proper alignment with the will of God. So, Lord, help us. We pray your blessing. We bless us as we look into the perfect law of liberty, the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 3, I've titled today's message, God's Reveal. God's revealed. Now, I will tell you that in this portion of text, I probably could have uh, a dozen sermons or more. And so, all week long, I have been asking the Lord because there are magnanimous things that transpire in this portion of Scripture. And so, I've asked the Lord and I've processed my thoughts kind of through the normal sieve or sifting that I do, trying to ascertain, Lord, what is it specifically that you would want to say to us, your children, right here at Hillside Christian Fellowship? And so, 
God's reveal. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, and then I'll share my first thought, then we'll read some additional verses, the second thought, and then finally my third thought. So read with me or follow along with me in chapter 3. The words will be on the screen. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. You might recall that chapter 2, that Moses... Uh, was raised up. He was ready to uh, lead the children of Israel. He went to check on his brothers and only to discover that they were being abused. And so he looked one way, then another, and slew an Egyptian, buried him in the sand, came back to his brothers the next day, supposing they would understand that he was going to be a deliverer, only to discover that they said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to slay us like you did the Egyptian? He flees to the wilderness, if you will, to the deserts of Midian, and there he is at the well, and he sees some gals uh, from a family, the family of Jethro, and they brought their flocks to be watered, and then some shepherds came in and We're kind of pushing the gals out of the way, and Moses rode up and defended. And it should be noted that Moses is a descendant of Levi. And if you go back into chapter 49 of Genesis, you will find that Levi is the brother of Simeon. Well, they're they're all brothers there, but they have the same mother. And what it is said of them has to do with their anger and their sharp cruelty. So I get this picture that at that well... Moses was probably reacting. He was probably reacting in that same spontaneous way, and he probably whooped some tail that day for these gals. Well, the gals go home, you know, and their dad says, hey, how are you back so early from the watering of the flocks? And they said, well, this Egyptian kind of helped us out. And they said, well, dad's like, I got all these daughters. Here's a single man Why didn't you invite him home for some food? Where is this guy? There's an availability here. So they get him, and of course he comes, and Jethro gives Zipporah as wife. And so we find uh, Moses has been now uh, tending Jethro's flocks, and he's uh, in the wilderness, if you will, in the area of Midian. So tending the sheep of his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Many would just say Horeb is synonymous with Sinai. Some have said Horeb is the mountain range. Sinai is the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. God's appearing. It's the revealing, if you will, of God's 
provision, and I'll explain what I mean. So interesting phenomenon here. It's one that would not be seen on an ordinary basis. A bush that is on fire with an individual in the midst of that fire, in the midst of the bush, and the bush is not being consumed. This is the angel of the Lord, and ultimately it is a, the identification of God himself. In theology, we call this a theophany, also known as a Christophany, and we know that this is Christ prior to his incarnation, for he reveals it himself in John chapter 8 when the Pharisees were inquiring who he is, and ultimately he gets down this discourse, and he says, before Abraham was, I am, and he claims that uh, name of God and in this scenario. And so here is the pre-incarnate Christ. But I reference today God's provision revealed by the simplicity of what's transpiring here. It's interesting, in the Hebrew language, the word for bush is the word sanah, S-E-N-A-H, sanah. And a proper translation of sanah would be the bramble bush, acacia bush. The bramble bush is a bush that has thorns on its branches, thorns on its branches. And it's interesting to note that the first mention of thorns is out of Genesis, the first few chapters, where God excises judgment on the sin of Adam in the garden and says there will be thorns and thistles as you work and toil on the ground, thorns and thistles. And thorns becomes the symbol, if you will, of sin. You might be reminded even this morning as we would look at and come to the communion table at the crucifixion of Jesus. They took some branches and twisted them into the crown. And Jesus wore, if you will, a crown of the bramble bush or a crown of thorns upon his head. Well, this symbol of thorns we see in the midst of a fire. Fire in the text of Scripture is always an indication of judgment. Judgment. In fact, you would note that the alloy metal that is identified with containing fire is bronze. You'll be more familiar with the tabernacle as we endeavor into the book of Exodus. In fact, the tabernacle is probably the single most talked about subject matter in Scripture, and it's there that we're introduced to the brazen altar, this bronze altar, bronze representing that which can contain fire where there is the judgment, if you will. And so fire is associated with judgment. And here we see in type the judgment of sin. How interesting also that the bush is not consumed. The bush is not consumed. So we see God's provision in that he is making by type a judgment of sin, but we also see God's provision in that the bush is not consumed. Interesting that the bush not consumed means that the bush is still alive. The bush is still alive. Though sin, the wages of sin is death, 
So if the bramble bush is the representation of sin and it is not consumed, what we are seeing is grace. Death is deserved, but life is sustained. Grace is not, excuse me, grace is receiving that which we do not deserve. Receiving that which we do not deserve. Sin does not deserve life, and yet life is given. But in addition to grace and the judgment of sin being given, mercy is given. Mercy is given. Mercy is receiving that which we do not deserve. In other words, I don't deserve the mercy of God, but God gives his mercy to me. So grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy, I guess, is not getting what we do deserve. Let me say it that way. That might be a little more clear. So mercy is not getting what I deserve. So the bush is alive. It deserves death, but it stays alive. And so, so also for you and I. Thanks be to God in his revealing of himself to each one of us on an individual basis. You and I, as sinners... We are deserving of the penalty or the wages of sin, which is death. But God revealing his son, his provision, he has judged sin. Sin, God made him who knew no sin to become sin that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so judgment is upon sin in Christ. And therefore, Grace is bestowed upon you and I, and mercy bestowed upon you and I. And so by way of type, I look at this first portion, and I just, this morning, I just wanted to focus on the revealing of God's provision. In this marvelous sight that Moses saw, he turns aside, sees it, and says, what is this sight? And he moves toward it. The voice calls out from the bush, Moses, Moses, remove your shoes. Do not approach, for the ground which you are standing is holy ground. This magnanimous sight, and you can only imagine what Moses was thinking, experiencing in all of this majesty. He turns his face so as not to look at God. God reveals also to you and I today, his provision of the judgment of sin and grace and mercy that is given to each one of us on an individual basis. So in this historical narrative, we have a picture of the salvation of God and God's provision for us in salvation. The second thing that we're going to look at this morning is God's addressing of Moses. Verses 7 through 9 goes on to say, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, 
And I also have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Flip the page or go to verse 21 also. And I just want to read this last verse. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. So we'll tie that in. So God's addressing Moses. God's addressing of Moses reveals God's providence. Now, providence is an interesting word. Let me give you the, def the definition of providence. Providence is the foreseeing care and guidance of God over his people as omnisciently directing the universe and the affairs of humankind with wise benevolence. The manifestation of divine care and divine direction. How beautiful to recognize for just a moment in the vastness of this universe, God is in control of all of the molecules that are in the entirety of the universe. And he is directing them. He is ordering them. He has put laws into motion that govern them. Not only in that vastness, but even more specifically, and in absolute love, he is orchestrating the affairs, the orchestrating the occurrences of humankind. He knows us, each one individually, and he is caring for all of our needs and our circumstances. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. God is intimately involved with each one of us, so much so that he would remind someone this morning about distractions. Maybe that word was for you because maybe you've been facing a number of distractions even this week. And the distractions are here and God is here. Let's fix our eyes upon Jesus who is the author and finisher of our faith. Let not the distractions distract. Amen? Amen. God is involved and God is engaged. He is providential in our everyday living. So I, this morning I thought it would be expedient for us to really look at this sevenfold plentitude of God's providence that is drawn out from this portion of Scripture. It's fascinating. Most often we look at four of these provisions or providential work of God in our lives. And let's begin looking at them again in verse 7. For it says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. It's interesting in the Hebrew, this is in the emphatic, and it means simply this, seeing, he sees. Seeing, he sees. It's his character, it's his nature to see. And in seeing, he is acutely aware of what is transpiring. He is actually seeing what is happening. It's interesting, remember this too, that our hearts are the most deceitful amongst the members of the body, the prophet Jeremiah reminds us. And we oftentimes cannot even discern our own sense of things. In fact, the scripture says in Hebrews chapter four, the word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, penetrating to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the bone and the marrow, and it is the discerner of the motives and the intents of the heart. I can't even necessarily know my own heart. I, when I read the word of God, it begins to reveal 
my own motive and intent. And the same goes with you, for all of us. And so, God sees what is actually happening. Sometimes, oftentimes, most times, you and I, we do not see it as it really is. Everybody understand that? Kind of nod your head. We, we are duped by our own carnality, and our eyes so often are blinded to what is real. But God's word will reveal even our own heart's disposition. Does that make sense? Okay. He sees. He says again in verse 7, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You are his people. We are his people. And he surely has seen where you and I are. He has seen. And with all certainty, we can know, seeing he sees. He knows right where we are. Some of us in this room, perhaps many of us in this room, are facing some level of oppression right now. You may be in the midst of the storm. It may be a storm where you feel like your boat is being swamped. Be reminded today, seeing he sees. He knows right where you are. And gang, he's in your boat. He's in your boat. He is with you. He says this, going on in verse 7. He says, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry. Heard their cry. Hearing, he has heard. He hears. He hears the prayers of the righteous. His ear is attentive to our prayers. Some of us might feel like heaven is very quiet right now. And we wonder and we question, is God hearing my prayer? I want to encourage you today. The word of God says God hears. He hears. His ear is attentive. That means his ear is attentive. We might have a distraction that says God doesn't listen to you because you haven't performed well enough. Well, I just want you to know that's a distraction. That's a lie coming from the pit of hell. God hears you when you pray. You say, well, I'm not righteous. Well, you're not in and of yourself righteous. But remember, God made him who knew no sin to become sin that what? We might become the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus, we are the righteousness of God. So God's ear is attended to his righteous. God sees you just if you'd never sinned. It's it's justification. If your faith is in Jesus, you're born again, you have been justified. We say it this way, it's just if I'd never sinned. That's how God sees us. We're righteous. Thanks be to God. So he hears us when we pray. We'd all like him to answer in immediate, like going through the drive-through at McDonald's. However, I've discovered if you go through the drive-through at McDonald's at lunchtime, I'd really like God to answer prayers faster than that. <laughs> okay. Seeing, he sees. Hearing, he hears. And then he goes and he says this. For I know their sorrows. I know their sorrows. I just want you to know today, you may be the person in this room who feels 
no one understands where I'm at. No one understands what I'm going through. And I want you to know that may be true on this level, but there is one who knows exactly how you feel, for he has been touched with every emotion, every scenario that you and I have. And he was without sin, and the scripture says he is able to help those who are in need. God knows. God knows. Knowing he knows. He goes on to say, in this instance, he says, verse 8, so I have come down to deliver them. Hallelujah. But look over at verse 16, if you will, for just a moment. Verse 16 says this, Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. This hints, this hints that God has visited previously past tense. He has been there. He has seen. You know, it's interesting. Some, to, I, some people have thought, well, that's great that God came and delivered that generation that was right then, some 400 years later, but what about the generation before them? And what about the generation before them? And what about the generation before them? Where was God? Did God not hear their cry also? I think that verse 16 hints that God has visited and knows and has been visiting and has known. It's ongoing. God is with his people. The reason he didn't deliver up until the time he delivered was the fulfillment of a promise that he gave to Abram back in Genesis chapter 15. 400 years they would be in bondage. But in the fourth generation... God would come and deliver his people and bring them back to the land of Canaan. So there was a time thing that was going on. And here's the interesting part. He tells us what it is. He says, for the sin of the Amorites is not complete. I believe that demonstrates God's grace even for those who are outside the faith, if you will. God is not willing that any should perish. He is long-suffering. He wants the Amorites to come to the place of repentance. Their sin was not complete. He was still working. He was still administrating. He was still loving. And so there was a time period. God has now come to deliver. I have come down. I just want to be encouraged this morning. I want you to be encouraged. God shows up. He's in time. He's on time. And it's every time. He will come down. And he delivers. Now, it says... Not only that he has come down, but he has come to deliver out of the hand of the Egyptians. So we have sees, hears, knows. He comes. He comes to deliver, and it's to deliver out of the hands of the Egyptians. I don't know what you may be facing in this world, but Egypt is a type of this world. No matter what the persecution may be, no matter what the, oper, uh, the uh, oppression may be, no matter what may be happening to you from those who are on the outside of the kingdom, God has come to deliver. He will deliver you from all your troubles. Now, I don't know how he's going to do that, but he says he delivers out of all their troubles. It's resplendent throughout all of the Psalms. The Psalm is saying time and time and time again, he delivers him out of his troubles. God delivers. He is the deliverer. Now, he goes on to say, 
when he delivers, look at verse 8 again. It says, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land. So I would say God sees, God hears, God knows. God comes, God delivers, God places us. God places us. That's number six. God places us. He places us in a good and large land. Now, he certainly was about to do that for the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, the promised land. But I would say in your life and in my life, God is causing all things to work together for the good of those who are the called in Christ Jesus. If your faith is in Christ today, God is working circumstances in your life toward good. And he has a place for you and I. Now, here's what I love about the placement of the Lord. The scripture says we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. Thanks be to God. That has a, that's, that's a positional thing. That has to do with the jurisdiction of the law of sin and death, which is governing this world. It doesn't apply to you and I. We are under the jurisdiction of the law of life and life in the spirit. Thanks be to God. So it's a positional thing. Seated with our citizenship is in heaven. Here on this earth, we're ambassadors for Christ. We represent a kingdom and a king who is not of this world, which gives us diplomatic immunity from the things of this world. So thanks be to God, he places us. And then finally, that verse 20, uh, 21, it says, I will give, in fact, turn, turn to verse 21 again. It says this, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. I will give my people favor in the sight of the world. Come on, that's epic. God's favor, we need God's favor. Amen? Amen. Thanks be to God, we have God's favor. Hallelujah. He has given us every, say that with me, every, every spiritual blessing. Peter tells us he has given us all things, say all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. He's given us every spiritual blessing and he's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Thanks be to God. He gives and he spoils his kids. Sevenfold plentitude of his providence. Now, you might be saying to yourself, what does this mean to me? I see these things. And the third thought, and this is God's answer, and it really is God's answer to Moses' complaining. Anybody here ever feel like complaining? God's chosen, God's chosen man, and he begins to say, whoa, wait a minute, who am I? Anybody here ever said, who am I to God? Look, Lord, what? What do you want me to do? No, not me. You know me. I'm, no, I'm not the guy. Excuses. Interesting that we all have a litany in many cases of excuses. I, I categorically put them this way. We talk about our inabilities. We talk about our inadequacies. And his inadequacy, he says, look, when they ask me who sent me, who, who do I tell them? That's indicative of an inadequacy. I, I, don't know who, I don't know you. 
I don't know your name. I, I, I feel inadequate. I think sometimes we feel that way. Who am I? I don't, I don't even really know the Lord very well. I feel inadequate. Inferiority. Uh, they won't believe me. They're not going to believe me. So Moses has this certain sense of inferiority, like somehow they're in a different position and because they won't believe him that he's in the lesser place. And then you know he comes to his own infirmity, his inability. He says, I can't speak well. Anybody here, when you feel like God wants you to do something, you come up with an excuse from time to time? I think that God's answer to our excuse will always be the same, and it's very simple this morning. I will be with you. I will be with you. Thanks be to God. In the New Testament, we're reminded, you know the Holy Spirit has three relationships with man? I, at least I see this in a biblical positional place. When Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says the Spirit of God is with you. He's already with you. We know that the Spirit is convicting the hearts of those on the outside with regards to sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is with them. The Spirit of God is actively involved in humanity, and he is with humanity. He said to the disciples, he said, soon he will be in you. Then later he breathed on them and said, receive the Spirit. And they received the Spirit. The Spirit took up residence inside of them. And for every believer, that transaction, when you express faith in Christ, he takes our sin, cancels our sin, and the Spirit of God takes up residence in the believer. Hey, kids, come on up to the front. Just come on down. This perfect timing. It's good. And then he says, he will come upon us. You will receive power after that the Spirit of God has come upon you. It's this relationship. God is with us before, during, and after. Before, during, and after. And here it's that same story. He's, he's there ministering to Moses. I'm with you right now in the present. He says, and I will be with you. When you go, I will be with you. Look at all these kids. Can we just give these guys a hand? Look at this good-looking group. Hey, listen, if this doesn't motivate you to want to work with kids, I don't know what will. <laughs> this is marvelous. Good-looking group here. Hi, Jojo. How you doing, buddy? Good to see you. This is epic. He is with us. He is with us. God loves us. And so his answer will always be the same to whatever our excuse is. He says, look, I will be with you. I'll be with you. I am with you. I will be with you. And it's interesting to note that he tells Moses, after you have brought this people out of Egypt, he says, I will meet with you here on this mountain, and on this mountain you will serve me. In other words, you will worship me, and I will be in ever presence with you. I'm going to meet you again. And this is his character, and this is his pattern. Kids, can you say pattern? Pattern. So great. <laughs> pattern. It's God's pattern. It's his character. Remember Abram. God called him to do certain things. And we see 
what we might call limited obedience. He kind of does things, and then he kind of doesn't. Leave your father's house and your family. What does he do? He takes his father and Lot, his nephew. Well, he's not out of his father's house because he's got his father with him, and he doesn't separate himself from his family. When his father passes away in Haran, he leaves there, but he brings Lot with them. There's trouble. They go down to Egypt. They come back up, and finally they realize, man, we got to separate because your dudes are arguing with my dudes, and this is not going to be healthy. And so they separate, and when they separate, God reveals himself to Abram one more time, and it's a deeper revelation of who God is. That's his pattern and that's his character and God will do the same for you and I. Just like the Israelites, I will be with you and after you've brought them out, I will be there again and it is there on the mountain that they will have further revelation. You and I know it's there that God reveals himself in a dynamic way. He gives the law and there's some beautiful things with the tabernacle and we'll look at that in days to come. So what does this all mean to you and I? His appearing, his addressing, and his answering. His provisions are for us. He has canceled the debt of sin, and he has given us his grace and his mercy, and it's good today, tomorrow, and the next day. Amen. That's epic. Yay. His addressing. Hey, his providence, his providence is for you and I. He sees, he hears, he knows, he has come. He has come what? He delivers and he brings or places us in a land and he gives his favor. Those, that sevenfold plentitude is ours in Christ Jesus. Can I get a strong amen? amen. <laughs> Newsflash. Newsflash. We may invite the children to service every Sunday morning. <laughs> it's so exciting. Uh, and then finally, his answering. God meets us where we are. And his response, I believe, will always be the same. He says, I am with you. I will be with you. And after obedience, I will maintain relationship with you and stay and give further revelation. That's a wonderful promise. Amen? Amen. Yay. I'm going to invite Pastor Matthew, who's back at the camera. Pastor Matt, would you make your way up here? And I'm going to invite our elders and uh, Pastor Dennis, if you'd come and maybe you'd put your guitar on and you'd be prepared to have some music going. And if our elders could come forward, we're going to remain seated this morning and our elders are going to pass the plates for the receiving of the communion elements. We would invite you as the plates come by, the the bread will come first and then the cup. Will you hold the bread and hold the cup until everyone has been served? And then we'll say a few words regarding the bread and the cup and then we'll partake of them all together. And then immediately following that communion time, remember we're gonna be releasing the kids back up to Kids Town and then uh, we'll close in a word of prayer and dismiss moms and dads to go pick up their kids. While our elders are preparing to service and brothers, if you would just begin to serve, that would be marvelous. I would encourage you to be mindful about coming to the communion table. If you don't know the Lord and you're just seeking God and you're on your journey and you're, you're, you're asking questions, we commend you in that. 
We would also like to express the opportunity to you. Today, you could make an expression of faith in Jesus by receiving communion with us this morning. It could be a public testimony of your faith. I am placing my trust in Jesus and what Jesus accomplished upon the cross at Calvary. Jesus died a substitutionary death for you and for me. He shed his own blood as a covering for my sin and for yours. If you would like to be included in the new covenant of what Jesus accomplished upon the cross, you could express that today by receiving communion. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Thanks be to God. Salvation, it is by faith through grace. God's grace toward us. And so we would invite you to do that. To every believer here, as these emblems are being passed out, we're also encouraged in just the area of our own lives. We would invite you just to take spiritual stock. If there's some things that you know in your life that you've been doing of late that are contrary to the Word of God, we would invite you to repent. Repentance is something that's not talked about often in church anymore. But we want to encourage folks to repent from their sinful behavior or their trespassing against the Lord. Hey, if the Spirit of God has been prompting you and you know that somewhere in your life you're not living contrary to, or you're living contrary to the Word of God, that you would turn aside from that living and choose to live to please the Lord. The Bible encourages us, find out what pleases the Lord. And so we want to encourage you in that area. Find out what pleases the Lord and walk in obedience to that. So will you take the next few moments while we're still being served to just take spiritual stock, maybe closing your eyes, talking to the Lord in your own heart and in your own mind. If there's confessions to be made, now would be the time to do so. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, the scripture says, Paul giving 
a description of what transpired. He said to the church in Corinth, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The bread that we hold is bread without leaven. Leaven is yeast, and it's what makes bread puffy. How many of your kids like puffy bread? Yes. Well, this is flat bread. It's without leaven. Leaven is a type of sin, and Jesus, the bread of life, he was without sin. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that he was bruised and broken for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sin was upon him. It goes on to say, by his stripes we are healed. This bread is a representation of the bread of life, Jesus himself. It is pierced and it is scored and it is without leaven. The piercing, the prophet Zechariah reminds us that they will look upon the one in whom they have pierced. Jesus, while he was upon the cross at Calvary, the Roman soldier pierced him in the side and blood and water came forth. Those birthing fluids, and on that day the church was birthed, if you will, a bride for Christ. Pierced, as the prophet said, every time of Passover, year after year after year, the Jews partake and eat of the matzah bread in that Seder meal, and they look upon the one whom they have pierced in type, the bread representing Jesus. To you and I, he represents the Lord and the piercings and the stripes that we're reminded by his stripes we are healed it's that work that God accomplished upon the cross that gives us healing our sin is canceled and we have life in Jesus will you pray with me this morning as we give thanks to the Lord for the bread father we thank you for your great plan of salvation you demonstrated your love toward us in that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us God you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You sent your Son in the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We give you thanks today. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience, your obedience to the point of death and death upon the cross. We give you thanks. Let's partake of the bread together this morning. Paul continues with the church in Corinth. He says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper. That's a key phrase, after supper. Saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You know because we say this month after month, every time we come to the communion table, we reference that Passover meal. And in the Passover meal that the Jews have, there are four cups that are taken throughout the course of the dinner. The first two cups happen before and in the midst of the meal, and it is the third cup that is partaken of after the meal. That third cup is called the cup of redemption. They even read about redemption and God's redeeming work back in the days of the Exodus. 
and how God redeemed his people. He had foresaid or foretold, I will redeem you. And this cup represents God's redemptive work. But for thousands of years, they saw and they looked forward to God's ultimate redeeming. To this day, the Jews continue to wait for God's redeeming. But Jesus, who is the redeemer, he identified and took that cup and he says, this cup, this cup now represents the new covenant, the new covenant in my shed blood. No longer the blood of bulls and rams for the atoning work, but the blood that is shed by me covers all sin. And by partaking of this cup, we are saying we are willing participants. I am identifying with God and saying yes to his provision for salvation. His provision for salvation. Thanks be to God. He made it possible. The judgment of sin was upon Jesus. Therefore, the penalty of sin is canceled for every one of us. Someone say amen. That's so great. Thank you. Praise God. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your great provision of salvation. In Christ and in Christ alone, there is no name given under heaven and earth whereby man must be saved. Saving Jesus. Jesus is the name. The name given. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Today, by participating publicly in the taking of this cup, we are declaring Jesus, your Lord of my life. We give you thanks. Father, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Let's partake of the cup together this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Well, it's certainly excellent to have all of these kids here for communion. Are you guys ready for Christmas? Yeah. All right, moms and dads. <laughs> so much. That means you got your work cut out for you, moms and dads. Well, we're going to invite all you kids. Will you stand with us this morning? And if you want to leave your cup just kind of right here on the stage, that would be perfect for us. And Miss Beth and Mr. Lee and Mr. Dan and Mr. Brandon and Miss Allison, they'll be taking you guys back to Kidstown. So we're going to excuse you guys. Thanks for being with us. God bless you guys. We love you. Thanks so much. Hey, folks, let's give these guys a hand as they're making their way back. All right. I love you. We'll see you soon. Hi, Miss Layla. Hi, Kyle. See you later, buddy. Love you guys. <laughs> Man, they got their cups all stacked up so good. Thank you, guys. Thanks for serving. Praise the Lord. As they're making their way out, by way of reminder this morning, I want to encourage you today to, if you've not decided about volunteering at the warming center, maybe you'd make that decision between here and the clipboard out in the foyer. Sign up and say, hey, I'd be happy to volunteer. Uh, there were a couple of other things. The Mission Italy trip. They're going to be meeting right up the hallway. There's a table up the hallway by the restrooms. If you're just in an information gathering place at this point, you're not sure if it's going to work for you, 
hey, head up there and get some information. Adam and Stella, will you guys just kind of stand? Wave your hands. They're right here. Boom, boom, boom. You can just follow them and look for them. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, let's see. If you wanted to help out with the Christmas for the family that's in need here, and when I say there's health complications, uh, it's not public. We know what it is. And it, it's, a it's a very difficult scenario. This family needs love, and we want to love on them well. So if you'd like to help out with that, you can come. Michael, just be kind of right down here in front. Will you stand with me this morning? Let's close in a word of prayer. Ask God's blessing and his benediction. And uh, be sure to read inside your bulletin. Pick up a bulletin if you haven't got one. Grab a bulletin because there's very pertinent information that is inside the bulletin that will help you even up to and including Thursday night this week, we are sponsoring the night strike underneath the Burnside Bridge, and we would love to have an army of folks loving on people right down on the streets of Portland. We're going to be doing food. We're going to be doing blankets. We're going to be serving coffee and cocoa. We're going to be loving on people sitting around tables. There'll be haircuts, foot washing, all kinds of activity. Come and be a part of that. You can see Pastor Matthew about that, and we'll get information into your hands and invite you to come and be a part of that. Well, let's pray and ask God's blessing and benediction. Amen? Amen. Father, we love you. We praise you. What a great God you are. Thank you for your amazing provision in our lives. Thank you, God, that you see where we are. You hear our cries. You know our sorrows. That, God, you have come down. You are with us, and you deliver us, and you will bring us or place us in a good and large land, and that you, or that we have your favor. We have your favor, the favor of God. Oh, Lord, thank you. Now, God, be glorified. Go before us, and may this week be a week filled with blessing and opportunity. May we set distractions aside, fixing our eyes upon our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. We love you, Lord. And we give you thanks in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said a strong amen. 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 Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing week in Jesus. God bless you.